Yes, absolutely. Those are pretty good. I feel like this is the first time in my adult life, the first time period where I've had to like become human. Really? Yeah, it sucks. Cause you're living alone now and that's the main bit. There's just a bunch of, you know, you know, like um, they say you cannot live on bread alone. Yeah. But I have not lived on bread ever. Yeah. And now I have to like learn to live on bread. Live on bread, live on the stuff of material. subsistence. Yeah. yeah. Material life. Pentacles, shall we say? Yeah, I have, I'm <laughs> yeah. totally. And it's funny, I talk often about like, oh, you know, everybody knows the earth is real, but everybody ignores the three spiritual elements. But yeah. I, I've completely ignored the material element of hmm. reality for a while. Just in terms of subsistence and like making money and all this kind of thing? Yeah. Well, because it, it all just came. That's good. I mean, that's like a a blessing, as they'd say, but I guess you hit a point where... Well, I'm just like, I have to pay the dues to yeah. the world if I mm-hmm. want to be in the world. Yeah. That's interesting. Which I, mean, I can I, accept. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's just difficult. Struggle. Yeah. Now I think about it with regard to my own life. I mean, I think almost what I was asking about when we were doing that reading the other week and all that, um, uh, I think I actually paid the dues to the world. And I, I'm in no way, I mean, this is like a unequivocally like, Oh, look at me thing. Cause I, I actually do think there's other issues. Um, I think I paid the, do my dues to the world pretty well. Like I graduated college five years ago and I've been pretty much working ever since then. You know, I was a philosophy and English major and I've worked in the entertainment industry. So it's a little freewheeling, but I've always had a consistent job. I've been in a consistent relationship for, um, going on five years now. Um, and it's always been this cycle that works. I also think I, I'll give myself credit. Like I think I've done a good job doing creative stuff on the side, but the big, um, not issue, but the, what I'm coming to now is like to get astrological about like my Saturn return mm-hmm. coming is, up. Is, yeah. In Pisces. Um, I should know. Right. But I, I think it's in, let me look it up. Quick. How old are you? 28. Don't, I think it is in Pisces. What's it about to go into Pisces? Then yes, it's in Pisces. So it's right now. Yeah. It is right now. Okay. Are you sure? Cause I thought it was going in June. <laughs> okay. I mean, your return. Like, yeah, it's not, I mean, like Saturn is in the placement, but it might not be in your degree. That's probably what it is. Okay. So in Pisces, anyhow, um, and regardless of people who are listening to this, whether you believe at all in that or not, like I'm just hitting an age where it's like, well, what do I do? I mean, there's like, I can set my life up to subsist, but I need 
more than that, I'm, I worry about the stuff of mere subsistence eventually subsuming um, the art and the magic, shall we say. Uh, and then conversely, I'm worried about um, if I, you know, it, it's not as clear cut as that there's two paths in front of me, but there's there's that tension. Um, and I, I think I'm good on the subsistence part, um, but there may be bold steps I'll need to take for the more artistic element. I'm told by wise people that if you can do both, it's better. Yeah. Like if you can synthesize them. Yeah. And I give myself some credit for being able to synthesize them, but I mean, we'll, I think, you know, I'd like to be in a position where I eventually don't need a job. That's probably unrealistic, but also a worthy aspiration, I think. Um, all that being said, if you'll indulge me, I was going to try one of your um, salamanders. Um, since we're not on video, I'll say that Chris gave me these, this matchbook, <laughs> magic matches. Do you want to talk a little bit about them? Or are they private? Should we no, keep it? No. Okay, yeah. They're just, they're, if, all right, so here, we'll put out the, the call. Yeah. If anybody knows how to do internet shipping fulfillment for hazardous materials. Matches count as that? Matches or has, has Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. You can, I, I could mail them, but I don't want to mail them myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, they wouldn't be worth it. But these are magic matchbooks. They are books. You can read them. They are magic rituals contained within a simple mundane object. And it makes the mundane act magic. This was the first in a, what, it, what will be a series of these products. Good. Um, I don't know if you've read, read uh, Ubik by Philip K. Dick. No. I was very inspired by that because it's like these mundane products are parts of God. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, we could we can make divine mundane products too. We just yeah. don't. We just yeah. happen to not usually. Well, this is one of the big things I think. That, so I found, I'm not doing a proper intro here because, you know, we're in person. And I just want to flow into it. Um, but I found, as you well know, but for the audience, uh, I found your work through Alex Kazemi, who was on this very podcast and told me I should check it out. And one, one big influence I think that Alex had on me and with regard to magic um, is, and I guess other people have probably talked about this too, but just really um, finding the godly or the magical within those mundane objects and doing rituals with those. Like I have in front of me, I'm going to light this with one of your matches, just a very simple tea light that I bought. I, I honestly, I'm not even proud of, I'm not proud of this, but I think I actually did buy it at Walmart. Um, but you can just take these things, these little elements and, and um, ritualize your will through them, which um, is very much with these salamanders uh, purport to do. Um, the steps are, I'm on the inside of the matchbook, the steps are one, clarify your will, two, strike your match, three, reveal your will to the salamander, and four, uh, allow your match to burn, and then there's a caveat, uh, may result in unexpected events. And then there is an Ace of Wands image from the Weight Tarot, which I hadn't even there, there are seen till now. It's a very with lovely little matchbook, and it's filled with secrets, as Chris said. And so you were, you were, you haven't figured out a way to ship them, but eventually you'll be distributing them, or you're just giving them to friends at this point? At this point, yeah. it's just for people in person. Gotcha. Well, that's has a, has a mystique about it, too. Um, I think I'm going to light one um, with regard... So, wait, so I should clarify my will to myself and then say it to the salamander. I can't huh? tell you how to do it. You can't, he can't tell me how to do it. Um, 
let me just take a moment here to clarify my will then. Uh, I hope that this podcast, when it goes out into the ether, changes things for me personally. Uh, whether by chaotic means or hopefully fruitful, beneficial means, but in some way that putting this podcast out there, the people who hear it, it brings me um, to the next chapter in my life. That this is, if not the solitary step on that road, then at least an, an opening step. Do you mind if I give a bit of critique? Yes. I mean, I don't mind. Please do. The will, just in my experience yeah. from, from, from doing magic for a few years now, it's got to be short and sweet. That makes sense. The will, there's a, a Freud line, the drives are silent. And in some ways, like memes are the, some of the most primal, um, libidinal or thematical expressions the less ego consciousness there is in that intended will, the better. Because that part is weak. Mm -hmm. That part exists by fighting the stronger part of us. The wills are like, um, that's why I like mottos, mm -hmm. slogans. I think, you know, those are extraordinarily powerful. And I don't, I'm not, I don't want to get into politics, but what I will say is that I see a lot of people on different opposing sides of the political spectrum they say oh these slogans they they don't make any sense they don't make any sense they're bad on both sides you get this yeah and it's so insanely foolish because the ideas don't matter and nobody literally nobody who votes cares or understands them yeah it's a good slogan it vibes hard that is what counts for these people who are like, no, no, we need it to be, you know, we're America. We are, we are not yet at a stage where we can be an intellectual public in terms of democracy. And that's okay. Yeah. You just have to, you know, play by desert power. Yeah. Cause slogans are memes and memes matter. <laughs> exactly. Catching on, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, your point is well taken. I mean, I probably should have, Known that myself, it's it's an issue I face in any number of walks of life. Whenever I'm using language that I'm given to logeria or whatever word fits, um, but your point is well taken. And thankfully, I have nine others. Nine others, and that's uh, my lucky number. So nine other attempts. Uh, that being said, I do hope that this podcast um, yes it makes good. it into the, the either. Feeling yeah. is good. Do you ever listen to the song "King's Lead Hat" by Brian Eno? No, I love Brian Eno. Don't know that song. Yeah. And just this idea of the lucky number nine. I guess the English 911 is 999. Hmm. And there's a line in it. It says he dials 999999. It's good. I'll listen to it later. Um, I have a whole outline that we may dip in and out of, but you know, you, you're in my living room right now and you just saw the album Synchronicity by The Police um, on a shelf, which is not mine. It's actually my girlfriend's mother's, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you said that without without synchronicity by the police, there would be no meme analysis. Did you mean that on an artistic 
basis or do you mean it in terms of like the notion of synchronicity or, or do you explain? I mean that literal record, um, it became a very influential record to me. I picked up a copy of it on tape hmm. at a flea market. Yeah, yeah. Right before, right before eighth grade. Yeah, it might have been yeah. in seventh grade. And I, I'm an obsessive listener of music. Mm-hmm. When I listen to music, I'm very obsessive about lyricism, and I want to understand every reference. I want yeah. to understand yeah. the lyrics. And that has been how I've discovered everything that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I, t- I think I talk about this in every podcast, but um, I got into Young through through this record, through Synchronicity by the yeah. Police. And that's why Synchronicity was the first Young book that I read. Oh, wow. At maybe 14. But I think it had a very positive impact on my reading of Young because I think a lot of people start with his more basic texts yeah. and with his older texts. I think the best way to read Young is late. Mm-hmm. And Synchronicity's later. Synchronicity's one of his very last. I think UFOs. Um, but I think the Memories, Dreams, and Reflections is a very good one to start because it's at the end of his life, autobiographical, and he's honest about archetypes. Yeah. And that's the problem is like a lot of his early work is still hiding through science. It's still masquerading the truth that he recognized after his breakdown about the nature of the archetypes. Hmm. So I find his later work tends to be more powerful. Interesting. Yeah, I recently, I haven't, I have familiarity with Jung. I have not read an entire work yet, unfortunately, but I did just get Synchronicity from the store. I was thinking, besides between that and the Red Book, I actually went with Synchronicity because it was cheaper. (laughs) But I think, it seems like it's a, not the worst place to start. And and that's very interesting with the, with the police. I listen to music in a similar way. I've actually never listened to that record extensively. I didn't really know. I mean, I know some songs on it, obviously, but I didn't really know that it was directly after uh, the Young book or the Young concept. But when you look, yeah, it's on the cover, which I just now learned for the first time. So I'll be listening to that um, and reading Young and, and, and we'll go from there. But no, I think I, I also just as a caveat, not a caveat, another add on to what you're saying um uh i too i mean i think a lot of people you get into stuff through music i think my first exposure to nietzsche and crowley uh was both through marilyn manson so uh go figure there it makes sense you know we kind of meet meet you know you oftentimes one's taste for music develops a little earlier than their real intellectual uh capacity so though i got into crowley through bowie Primarily. Yes, him too. Crowley's referenced on Synchronicity as well hmm. in the song, which I think is it's a big hit, Synchronicity 2, where it's like um, many miles away, there's a shadow on the door of a cottage on the shore of a dark Scottish lake, and that is the Bullskin House. You know, Crowley. Hmm, Crowley. Right. You know, the, the Loch Ness Monster was summoned by Alistair Crowley. <laughs> really? For real? Yeah, yeah. I don't know too much about that, but I... I've seen enough to believe it. He yeah. performed the Abramlin Rite at the Bolskin House, but got interrupted by Golden Dawn Matters and did not hmm. finish the ritual. So that's and why. That is when the Loch Ness Monster began to be seen. Wow. <laughs> it's wild. Well, I'll go off the outline a little bit. Um, for people, so I'll start, you know, where perhaps I should have started, but kind of flown into this um just the the general introduction for those who might not know uh chris gabriel meme analysis um you go by chris though you're not one of these people who calls himself meme analysis anyhow 
Um, you, I like this fact. You are the founder of the original Sigmund Freud's dank meme stash. Was that what it was called? Facebook group co-founder. at co-founder, co-founder. But it was at a very precocious age. I mean, you were like 14, 14 which yeah. Uh, in true Freudian form, perhaps. Well, I don't know. That's true Freudian form, but you know, you were dealing with certain issues, and you were drawn to Freud um, at a young age. Um, but you're now most famous for your meme analysis YouTube channel, which you've been doing for about four years now. Um, 2019, right? Yeah, and it's um, very popular. You you have over 100,000 subscribers, which is enviable, uh, and the content is fantastic. We'll talk about it today. I was going to say, I liked the video you posted yesterday, even. Um, what was it called? About being an isolated artist. Very good. Very, um, just good uh, YouTube video essays within that um, genre um, and stuff that's insightful, um, sometimes even moving. Um, it's very good stuff. I think, um, we, so as I said, I found your work through Alex Kazemi on this very podcast. He told me I should check it out, and listeners can go back to that episode and hear it. Uh, but I'm almost surprised I hadn't come across you earlier because we actually have a lot of other mutual friends and collaborators. It's a pretty big scene that we're in, obviously, but you've done work with um, your friends with Catherine D, um, who has been on New Right before. She's um, the best. She's, she's awesome. Um, great internet archivist or archaeologist, I would, would call her. Um, you even did a pod with um, Nick Dollinger. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably a couple years ago now, but um, he's. I, I, um... I saw him recently. We went well, to, he was at Devere Ball. Oh, but you we saw him even more recently. Coney Island. Oh, nice. Yeah, I actually, I've never been to Coney Island, but next time... I haven't I go, never been either. Yeah, n- people don't go. It's um, beautiful. Yeah, we next time it. I go to New York, um, my girlfriend and I mean to, to check it out. Um, but yeah, n- no, Nick's a great guy too, and um, obviously... But also, um, and perhaps crucially, uh, Justin Murphy. Uh, was He was an early one who sort of brought you... Yes, early, early investor. Early, early investor. Early investor. Um, and, and Justin's, you know, a great, great guy. And actually, this po- you probably don't know this, but this podcast, too, was um, my co- my normal co-host, who's not on today because um, we're in person. Uh, he lives in New York. Um, but my, my normal co-host, Dan, and I met on Justin Murphy's forum, mm-hmm. Indie Thinkers, which I, oh, yes. I, I'm no longer active on, but I was... I'd done a course, I think I gave a You did a talk. young course, right? No. I gave a talk on how to get 100,000 subscribers nice. or something. <laughs> well, that's a worthy topic. I would also, I don't know, I know Justin's teaching a Gerard course right now. I definitely think that you'd be someone who could just teach a course on any of this stuff. It's something I've been meaning to do, but we want to do it in VR. Because oh. we want to do tarot. And what, we, what do you mean by VR? Like Zoom or like even no, more? Like, like, like in, okay. in virtual reality. Tarot. And ritual magic, because I think it should be experienced. Yeah, gosh, I don't even believe in VR, but I think it'd yeah, be yeah. Fun. But yeah, what are you going to do when everyone's like? Oh, it's also touch. sufficiently difficult. Yeah, that I don't need to worry too much about making it happen right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. But I would definitely will be following. I would, I would love to do do such a course with you. Uh, I think you have a lot to offer. Um, you're. You're a good amount younger than me, and not that we need to flash our ages. Or whatever. I'm 28, you're 23. Um, but I do. <laughs> I don't want to sound fucking weird, but I do really like look up to you, frankly, uh, I, on these matters. I mean, I think you're you're like very very well uh, averse in them, and at such a young age, it's pretty pretty impressive. And I really do think you have that professorial uh, potential. <laughs> Thank you, but you know, it takes a sacrifice of many of the things that you and I'm sure many others listening got to have 
Yeah. You know, I had to, I sacrificed a lot to devote myself to this stuff. Yeah. Uh, this way of being. Like, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college. I went to college yeah. for a little bit. I guess, honestly, in some ways, I suppose life forced me, you know? Yeah, as it often does. You know, I wasn't yeah. going to go to school during... I wasn't going to go to school online. Yeah. Lockdown, so I kind of just was like, all right. Screw it. The channel's, yeah. the channel's yeah. what matters. No, that's amazing. Um, you know, and I, obviously, there, there, I, I enjoyed my college experience. I enjoyed what I have in this world. But at the same time, it's it's pretty amazing that you've been able to be a self-starter in the way uh, in the way that you have um just to continue with the intro a little bit we and i kind of alluded to this we met at the devere ball uh, this was after i'd been dming you for mm-hmm. for a couple months um but we met in person at the devere ball which was was a great event um you were giving people tarot readings for people who may be listening if you were at the devere ball but you're not sure who chris is that was who he was the guy who was giving tarot readings you still give tarot you obviously still give tarot readings um, i'll give you a chance to um promote anything you want at the end of the pod but um but you do that is something that you're pushing a little bit not pushing in a negative sense but you know that you're yes. bringing to the world now you are and this, some of these are um on zoom i assume or or no mostly i, call. You tr- I won't i won't do video okay you won't do video. I, I call um yeah but if anyone is interested in getting such a reading from chris um twitter at god yes could, could you yeah. could you attest to it oh yeah 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 i've had um two two readings from chris so far um one was the quick one at the devere ball um i don't know how much i should actually talk about it i guess it's up to me um but i'll uh, that one kind of set my mind not that this should always be the we'll talk about this later too like uh, not that tarot and 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 mystical stuff should always like set your mind at ease because sometimes it should do the opposite but in that case that reading really set my mind at ease on something that had been uh, tormenting me and still torments me but I actually think about that reading quite a bit. And then last week you gave me like a Celtic cross um, reading, which has has definitely provided a lot of food for thought just regarding, you know, existential matters, kind of some of the themes that I was talking about when I lit the match at the top of this podcast. And um, yeah, sort of, um, you know, what is t- t- tarot, among other things, maps the path of life and... I found your readings very helpful for me at doing that. Um, again, it's not like extreme divination where I see where you tell me everything that's going to happen to me. That's not what this is about, but rather just kind of taking a quick uh, temperature check of like where where I stand in the moment. What what are the dynamics um, that are encircling me, and where might they lead? Where you know what are what are some alternative places they could or could not lead? Um, I found y- your work on that very insightful with regard to that. Yeah. Thank Can I talk about the unpublished text of yours? Yes, please. Okay. Right. Uh, please. I yeah. Don't, I don't want to. I don't know if you're. No, no, no. I, I um, need to promote as much as I can. So in in one of the stories, I believe it's called Funky Town. It <laughs> yeah. describes the images and videos on the internet as a pack, as a pack of tarot cards. And I think that, you know, this is extraordinary. It's it's a means of analysis I've been using for a long time where I could link memes to cards. Mm-hmm. But that's what I found. And honestly, I'm, I'm okay at it. But my friend Blair, the co-host of the MIA, he's very good at it at mm. reading the internet as a divination method. Yeah. 
and you describe, you know, tortures, beheadings, and and ridiculous memes, both as, you know, components of the pack, the most provocative, moving images. And it's so completely right. You know, I, th- I think back to, you know, the line from Elliot with a wicked pack. She's yeah. the wisest woman in Europe. Um, the wicked pack, it's, it's a problem I've seen for a very long time. I think Thoth is better than Ryder in this regard. It's still a little bit scary. It's still yeah. a little bit far out. But we'd really, I think a lot of the tarot cards that are used fail as provocative, evocative images. They fail as divination methods in that they are not moving images. They do not move the viewer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... <laughs> I could read anything, but I, I understand also that it's a skill I've cultivated for for almost a decade, and I for a lot of people who are just starting out reading, it would probably be better to to see um, really provocative images to understand what's yeah, going on. What's going on? Yeah. Um, if I'm not pushing my luck, and if I'm not pushing, <laughs> not pushing my luck, not um asking too much here do you have your cards with you no no i i know you have the thoth cards i do yeah i can go grab them i mean was that is that i don't want to like deplete your energy on that it it gives me energy okay good i thought we could do it and it will be it's interesting to do it on a podcast about um the future of this podcast some things that i talked to you about i don't know if i want to verbalize them here um but but you can, you know, be loose. You can, you can say what, uh, whatever comes. Maybe not a full ten card reading. No, how, whatever you see fit. Let me grab it real quick. Then you love the degradation of the boxes. Yeah, it gets really <laughs> bad. I know you have like the slightly smaller one. I do like the yeah. small ones quite a bit. I'm like, I might just get a, like a couple more just to have. Do you? I assume you don't actually, but maybe you do. Do you believe in that thing where you're supposed to have someone give you the deck? No. Good, because I've never. Like, I don't know anyone who's into this stuff. I kind of <laughs> found it on the internet and on my own. So. All right. What are we asking? Um. Let me. I'll, I'll just be very loose-lipped about it here, and I may censor it on the podcast because some of it. You know, <laughs> this is a little strange to do, but I think it's worthwhile. I mean, I ever since um, the hermit, yeah, self-explanatory. We have one of these, and then I'll back up a step. <clears throat> So, to continue in intro mode a little bit, when I found your work, I got very excited about it um, because I, I like, and this ties into what we were saying a moment ago, I enjoy how you are creating a space that very much transcends the the politics and culture war stuff altogether, not by brushing under the rug, but rather by talking, somehow getting to the heart of the matter in that, I guess, Freudian or Jungian way. Um, my perception has always been um, that you're, you know, getting to what r- really matters beneath those topics. In a way, also comparable to Camille Paglia, another huge 
influence of mine, someone I found through right-wing stuff, but who is not herself right-wing per se, and who, yeah, deals in that archetypal... Kill, kill to meet her. Yeah. You have not. I wish. Alex, like, supposedly has, right? Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want desperately to meet her. She is, like, the only living theorist I okay. want to meet. Yeah. My friend met Zizha. Hmm. No. No. He wrote. They wrote. No. But that doesn't matter. I want... I prefer Polya. I mean, Zizhak is good, oh, but... did a video together, didn't they? Probably. I haven't seen it. But... Not to go over anything too basic, but I always assume that perhaps no one has seen your work. Um, so I'll say, you know, you started... And you still do this. You know, you... You, your YouTube channel, Meme Analysis, you dedicate... <clears throat> sorry, I'm choking on this chocolate. <laughs> um, you dedicate each video to a different meme and analyze it. Um, meme or memetic phenomenon. A lot of them are actually, like, phenomenon more so, like, uh, you know, the incel psychology is one of your videos or the the psychology of... How do you say that? A, a hey yo? Yeah. So, like, not just, like... I mean, you do have, like, the yes chad meme analysis, that kind of thing, but it's also, like, those broader phenomenon. I really like the one you did on meme magic and keck, kind of on the whole 2016 phenomenon. Um, Games, GameStop and Wall Street bets, the memetic economy, very good one. I'm just name-dropping some of these to whet people's appetites if they haven't come across it. Um... And you, you analyze from a kind of Freud, for definitely from a Freudian lens, I feel like that's probably where the word analysis comes in, that original psychoanalytical uh, talking point. Um, but you also, I really think of a lot of your work as being the um, synthesis of a pretty set group of names, um, being you know Freud, Crowley, Nietzsche, Jung, Paulia, Reich, Burroughs, perhaps some others. You have a really great um, Amazon reading list that people should check out. Um, one could get their whole education just from delving in. You, I mean, you're very much an original thinker in your own right, um, and and you apply this stuff to the internet in a way that obviously none of these people um, were able to in their lifetime. But I do th- see you as kind of standing on the shoulders of these giants, which is very much um, how you present it. Um, and I really really like that about your work that there's kind of this meme analysis canon almost. Um, it's very cool. Maybe later on I'll ask you to name drop. We already talked about young synchronicity, but. Maybe to name drop some best books to start with of some yeah. of these people because I think be that would fun. be beneficial yeah. to to the listeners. Um, where am I going with this? Just kind of meandering around the intro here. Um, I do think, you know, some people would say, "Oh, meme analysis, it's like fun." Uh, you know, this meme means you want to fuck your mom, whatever. But like, there are definitely some overarching themes that emerge, um, and I want to talk about those. But I'll turn it back to you. How would you kind of describe? Um, your overall mission with meme analysis and, and what you're doing, if that's not too big of a question. when every living human confesses that memes matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good, that's a worthwhile mission. I just, I think that idea of memes mattering will have a profound impact mm-hmm. on the world. Yeah. And I, 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 one thing that I was like wanting to talk about by bringing this up, I mean, beyond what, what you're saying, which absolutely makes sense, um, is the sort of uh, Rosicrucian, if I can even say, almost like for the betterment of the world kind of mission. Um, 
you know, you're a Nietzschean, but uh, so you're not like a liberal humanitarian. But I do, I do really see that you're trying to help people who watch these videos in the way that Freud might. There's an emancipatory element where you're trying to help people look past, um, you know, these immediate knee-jerk reactions. Um, a lot of people, you talked about this with Nick, uh, Nick Dollinger, you, your fast food uh, video is, is one of your best and most personal, um, talking about, uh, you know, breaking out of the spell of doing repetitive, uh, harmful behaviors, which so much of us are in with, whether it's fast food or pornography or, or drugs. Um, I really appreciate that element of your work, where I do think you're trying to um, help people, help, help people, help, especially maybe Gen Z and, and especially Gen Z millennials too, perhaps, um, you know, understand themselves, uh, outside of this, uh, digital anima, as you've described it. I suppose I would view it as it's an aeonic duty. I was, I was going to be what I said next. Yeah. Talking about that. Yeah. You know, it's not, I'm not out here necessarily out of compassion and love which you know i'm sure is a part of it but i i can just recognize that there are things that i believe have to happen and i want them to happen and they're not there yet mm -hmm. you know the, the material the substance of the generation so far yeah is just in incapable right now and i think that this sort of work and hopefully the work that i can inspire others to do will help liberate them to be able to do their duties. Yeah. And you're especially, so the Gen Z thing is perhaps on point because you really are kind of aimed at that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Who would you say your target audience is that? I think it, I think the top high school, I guess high school to thirties. Yeah. It's the biggest. And it seems like after reading your YouTube comments, you do, you are reaching young people, mm -hmm. which is really good. Um, and I'm glad, glad to see it. Uh, but you mentioned it as an aeonic duty, um, which kind of gets into the more mystical element. Um, maybe before touching on that explicitly, talk to me a little more about the digital anima, the internet. And you talk about this a lot. Um, so anyone who's familiar with the work probably doesn't talk about. But the internet as a smothering mother. Um, how did you come to believe to view the internet that way, and what does it mean for us? So I think user? it yeah. relates directly to the aeonic view of things. Yeah. So. You know, Crowley says we've entered the aeon of the child, of Horace the child. Mm -hmm. Part of the myth of Horace the child is that he is threatened at birth with devouring. Just like in Revelations, where uh, the woman clothed with the sun is giving birth, and the great beast is going to swallow it as soon as it's born. Um, this is a universal motif. This is also part of the Tom Thumb story. Mm -hmm. But viewing this generation the first generation in the new Aeon as threatened, which they are. Um, you know, we look back, Leary talks about it. Many of, many of the people early on with the internet recognize that the people making the internet were making the ideal mother, mm -hmm. making the ideal woman that they didn't have. You know, the internet from its conception Maybe started as a library, maybe started as a archive of information and a means of sharing information. But of course, you know, the complexes quickly come in, mm -hmm. you know, just like we talked about the, the, the intention behind magic yeah. versus a superego intention, which is like, oh, we'll build a library, a new Alexandria will be able to all share information, but the true will behind them 
is is libidinal yeah which is i want to be comfortable i want to be comforted and entertained and amused all the time and they got it they made it and you know this is the first generation truly raised by the internet yeah and i think giving these dynamics and occurrences a narrative and a symbological uh, lexicon will be very helpful i think you know i believe in fairy tales yeah telling these you know there is not a fairy tale to warn about the internet right fairy tales in many in many cases could warn about things right or give spiritual lessons right we don't have those stories today right and i'm in some ways trying to make them i see with your videos yes yeah love that that's so interesting and um yeah, in terms of the digital mother of it all, the the thing that sort of doles and saps your senses is, I think, a lot of a lot of our experience uh, of the internet. Some of the advice I feel like you'd give to young people, especially young men, by the way. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I don't think you're not some like uh, manosphere uh, channel at all, but I do think a lot of your advice is especially relevant to young men who I, you know. I don't think this is overly polemical. I think increasingly this is a accepted view that men, that young men especially, are kind of being left behind a little bit, and they struggle with these things. And you know, you, there, there's a there's a strong current on like sort of right wing Twitter and and traditionalist stuff. You know, couple couple points people hit. You know, don't smoke weed, don't jack off to porn, limit video games. These are this is advice you see a lot, but and, and it's advice that you very much also give. Um, but I, you come, <laughs> you come at it from a very unique have, perspective. Can I give a funny, I just want yeah. to give a funny thing. Uh, I think honest to God, and this will sound funny, you know, I used to be very wary about giving these kind of moral, um, guidelines and thoughts. If you look at the first year of my channel's existence, that was relatively absent. It was pretty much. Like, do you know Lacan's discourses? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. almost entirely discourse of the analyst. Yeah. No, I, I've watched those early, that early stuff. And then, yeah. when Elliot, the guy, the other guy who founded Sigmund Freud's Dyke Meme Stash, when he put out his book, he mm-hmm. put out a book about psychoanalysis. Part of it talked about, like, don't jerk off, don't play video games. It was like one line. Yeah. But it was, I guess, on Amazon, they tell you what the most underlined... <laughs> lines are and it was that i'm like oh i should just people want to be told that over and over again i should just master discourse i could just use master discourse and i just started occasionally doing master discourse and no people people respond to it because you are neurotics because you are hysterics you demand that i tell you what you are (laughs) and i will yeah no Um, that's good yeah it's probably a lesson for me in there as a podcaster as well (laughs) <laughs> but you know the key the key is really just that stuff is honestly not that important if you have true will if you yeah. have things to do those things just won't be as enticing as enticing yeah. it's like you know it's the same with the internet i mean if you are active if you live the right kind of life it will not be nearly as enticing yeah, that makes sense. And that's the, you know, we, we are tasked, especially in this aeon, with creating new forms of life, mm-hmm. creating new forms of living. And I think a lot of people do not feel up to the task. 
Yeah. What uh, to, to engage in some master discourse, and and I don't want to go too long on this, but if there is a good answer, like what what did beyond stopping smoking weed, stopping jagging off, like what is what are the first steps we can take to 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 find our true will to live in this better way? Um, obviously, it's a lifelong struggle. It's a, a big. It is a big question. All right, number one. Yeah. Lately. I've been feeling like the 12 step program is actually good. Yeah. I've been realizing. Yeah. Um, and I would, so I will, I will say step one, you are not the master. You are not the master in your own house. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. Even, you know, even in my life, I've, rec- I've, uh, I used to know this more clearly, but my ego got inflated for a time and I forgot about psychoanalysis in my yeah. own life. Yeah, you know, it was still a tool that I used with others, but I forgot that the ego was not the master in its own house, mm-hmm. and the unconscious, you know, thrust itself into my life. So, step one: you are not the master over your own life. Thus, these actions that you think you can will yourself to take to change your life are not going to happen. Period. You need to recognize the unconscious. You can call it God. Angels, spirits, demons, whatever, but you need to recognize there are other powers. Two, that there are means of communing with these powers, that you can pray, you can do magic, you can do divination, um, you can just begin changing some daily habits. But when you give, you know, render unto Caesar, render unto this greater part of you. Which is really, you know, you think that if you just will yourself hard enough to stop jerking off or stop playing video games or stop doing drugs, it's just not going to happen because you are not the master. It's bigger parts of you. Bigger parts of you are forcing this to happen. All right, post that, step three, you know, when you're, when you're in this depression of the real, you have to whimsy max. You have to mm. recognize the romanticism and the beauty in life as it is. You know, you might think that life without video games would be depressing and miserable. There'd be nothing to do or life without drugs is empty and boring, but it's not true. There is beauty in the li- in, in life, in the world as it is, and it can be reached. It can be experienced. And sometimes, you know, you have to be silly. You have to be silly. Hmm. That's are- very, uh, yeah, it's a very thorough answer. I think, um, I'm glad to be able to, to put it out there. Um, it's funny because, you know, you are, I don't know if you'd say that you're a Thelemite per se, but you practice Thelema and a lot of people, which is of course, Alistair Crowley's system of magic, shall we say? Um, and there's that, and you've, I know you've talked about this, but I want to rehash it here. There's a, a, always that notion of do what thou wilt as being a totally egotistical thing as being a flouting of the first 12 step program maxim, um, you know, of, 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 of bowing your head to a higher power um but how, how would you differentiate the the real do it thou well with that kind of bullshit one it's all yeah every, pretty much everybody is completely wrong about it it's insane like yeah. it's, it's an extraordinarily difficult misunderstanding i mean in part because crowley enjoyed the misunderstandings yeah yeah it, it's it's attractive mm-hmm. it's very attractive but in fact, he writes that it is the most difficult, most uh, strict thing in, in the world to do your will. Yeah. 
because people forget it's not just do what thou wilt it's thou hast no right but to do what thou wilt yeah so you know all the the silly fun little diversions that we want to take in life are sin that is what the sin is Hmm. in you know in many ways it does remain very close to christianity but i was actually thinking about this on the toilet last night that the christian soul versus the thelemic and old pagan guardian angel genius or daemon the only difference is the christian soul is viewed as more human and something that needs to be saved Mm -hmm. you know there's something wrong with it you you are shit but your soul can be saved yeah in thelema and in paganism it's like you meh you're okay it really you know you don't really matter that much but the daemon is like ultimate good because that is god's connection to you that is the divine in your life and in the world so you are you can perfect yourself to be the best vessel for the genius for the mm-hmm. daemon for the guardian angel um so rather than perfecting the soul in Christianity, we perfect ourselves to do God's will on earth. That is the idea. Um, so in some ways, it's very close. In some ways, they're very similar. Yeah. No, um, it makes... I mean, I, I in my own reading on Crowley, I'm about halfway through um, Magic Without Tears, which I we'll, we'll talk more about later, I think. But um, yeah, you see how, how deep this goes. Um, this idea of do what thou wilt uh, and how how, mis- how misunderstood it is. Um, it seems to be heavily influenced. I'm just going to kind of... It's almost wrong for me to just throw this out here and then probably not elaborate on it too much. But it almost seems very influenced by the Tao. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. That's a huge... Yet again, do not... This is my other advice. Don't trust any Thelemites. <laughs> don't trust yeah. any of them. None of them, I bet, don't even, you know, they don't even know how to read. They're probably doing drugs or are sexual degenerates without strong wills. Mm-hmm. This is from experience. Yeah. I've not met nearly any good Thelemites. Every, yeah. What I will say, every good, really good spiritual person, they know Crowley. Oftentimes they like him secretly. Yeah. They won't say it because they know what it attracts, but they like him. Interesting. Um, that's the, just from experience. But hmm. Crowley is a very negative figure to bring up because of his fan base. Um, so none of them actually understand, yet again, that Taoism is, I'd honestly say, the primary influence. Um, that's, you know, that's been my read on it as well. <laughs> if you read his confessions... If you read Crowley's Confessions, he talks about one of the most difficult periods, one of the most difficult changes in his belief system was after receiving, you know, he was a Buddhist. Right. He studied yeah. Buddhism under Alan Bennett. And only after receiving the Book of the Law, which he was initially repulsed by, he had to eventually accept that Buddhism was wrong. Yeah. That Taoism was correct. Um, do you know... This is another another story I love to tell. Do you know the parable of the vinegar tasters? Tell it to me again. I don't so it sounds familiar, but it's like the three great Eastern thinkers. Mm-hmm. We're all at a a bowl of vinegar. It's 
uh, Confucius, Lao Tse, and Buddha. Um, Confucius tastes the vinegar and he frowns and he says, this should be sweet. This vinegar is bitter. It should be sweet. The Buddha tastes it and is expressionless. And he says, it's vinegar. And then Lao Tse tastes it and smiles and he says, it's vinegar. Yeah. You know, we can recognize the world as it is and take pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that seems to be one of the fundamental Crowleyan insights. And there's other schools of thought you can cite. We're getting into a little bit philosophical, deeper water here, but I think that's good. Um, I've often thought about it in terms of Schopenhauer and Nietzsche. It's a similar process, perhaps. There's kind of an initial understanding I think you get in Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, Buddhism, uh, perhaps in Lao Tzu. I've not read too much of it. Uh, and perhaps even in Confucius. Uh, but there's that understanding of the world World is will, basically. Yes. The world is will uh, as wills in competition with other wills. Perhaps as one, you know, there's different interpretations. But basically, the world as will. And then there are negative, there are affirmative and um, negative responses one can have. Uh, Buddhism, for as happy as some Buddhists seem to be, uh, is basically a negative response, as is Schopenhauer. Um, but Nietzsche in one way, Crowley in another, I'm, I think probably Lao Tzu or something in the Tao, um, is much more affirmative. It's, it's, it's taking what could be seen as a grim reality of ceaseless striving, signifying nothing, um, but, um, but, t- but, but taking a, but, 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 but affirming it and, and, and find, and, and, and yes, affirming that, yes, it can be uh, a joyful process. And, you know, yeah. that is the development um elifus levi mm-hmm. the magician who crowley believed he was a reincarnation right. he had you know gone to many schopenhauer lectures and to- it totally totally changes everything about his approach to magic you know it becomes that gives him the language this is really the true beginning of the importance of will in magic is yeah. through Levi. And of course, Crowley has Nietzsche. Crowley has access to Nietzsche so and Freud. So it's a more, I think, uh, a more advanced, though Though Levi is also yes-saying, yeah. but it's not from Schopenhauer. But I think Nietzsche's affirmation, Nietzsche's understanding of will is you know, primary to Thelema. But again, how many Thelemites have read Nietzsche? Yeah, you don't not, even, not <laughs> enough to, to begin to understand what is going on. Yeah, at all. You know, it's something uh, Burroughs talks about. We have like every virus in us already. They just get activated at certain points by uh, input. Did you yeah. ever read Cities of the Red Knight? No, I, that's it's extremely good. good. Yeah, that's it's kind of next on Burroughs list. Yeah. I think we talked about this at the Beer Ball. Um, maybe not. But I don't it's, know. it's it's his easiest fiction. Yeah, like it's not cut. Up. Yeah, yeah, it's still hard, but it's not cut up. Gotcha. Yeah, I've read um mostly just Naked Lunch, Wild Boys, and Revised Boy Scout Manual, which I read after. Do you read your YouTube uh, video? Nova Express? No, not very well read. Nova, Nova <laughs> Express yeah. is like really, really fucking good. Better than Naked Lunch, in my opinion. Yeah. Naked Lunch is good writing, but it's kind of 
it's famous for the wrong reasons, of course. It's yeah. There's as one, with Crowley, you know. There's one yeah. section of Naked Lunch that I adore. It's called the Black Meat. I don't, it's been a while, but yeah. Oh, with veins like that, kid, I'd have myself a time. Yeah. Um, but Nova Express is fucking really, yeah, really yeah. good to me. Like that's his his peak work of cut up. Hmm. I like um, cities. I like the Western Lands. Cities and Red Knight is one of a series, right? Technically, I think with the with um, yeah, yeah, with the Western Lands. I think. Interesting. Yeah, I got I will. I will read more Burroughs. In, he's good in time. He's very good. He's he, he can be hard, but I, I really enjoy him. Definitely difficult, but um. Did you see that I met Lydia Lunch? What about her? That I met her the other day. No. Yeah. Nice. At the bar and we were talking in Echo about Park, or yeah, we were talking about Burroughs, and she was like, "I would kill him." I would oh really? If, I, if he was alive, she doesn't now. like him. Yeah. <laughs> She's older, right? She mm-hmm. was, yeah, kind of like a punk original. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah. <clears throat> music. Uh, this is. I don't know if I'll put this in the pod, but we're just talking here. Music wise, or you, you're pretty variety of genres. Or I feel mm-hmm. like you like punk a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely in that. I'm not, I mean, any real punk would call me a poser, but I did have a punk band. Nice. We were rather. We had a lot of attention at the time in the scene. Because we would attack people with yeah. food. <laughs> we, would, we would, like, pelt people with food and throw pizza. We, we would get shakes and, like, throw them in the audience. It was fucking Nice. Was in uh, New Jersey, was in it? New yeah. Jersey, yeah. Cool, cool. So you're a musician, too? Uh, I would. I, I guess with I punk, would, the, the beauty of punk yeah. is you don't have to be. I would never call myself that, yeah. but I have made music. Mm. Guitar or what? Harmonica, violin, and singing. Nice, nice. Cool, cool. I feel like I was gonna say something else about that. Oh, have you read? Um, and I haven't. I haven't read this in a while. Uh, I don't even know why this is of all things is actually something I have read. But um, the Feral House book on Darby Crash. No. Um, it's interesting. I mean, you know who that is from Germs. Germs. Yeah. 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 They're the they're definitely lexicon kind of devil. Lexicon Devil. Yeah. I have to reread it because I, I my understanding on these kinds of topics was um. Uh, you know, lesser back then, but no, it's all about how he like was involved in Scientology. And I mean, he's really just one of these Southern California, um, you know, occult occultists, basically. Um, died young, of course, and but he was very much on on this wavelength. I think I have to reread it, but yeah. Anyhow, we were talking about um, affirmative versus pessimistic understandings of the world as will and this may just be a quick quicker soundbite here but one one part of um uh magic without tears that really stood out with me is when crowley was talking about rosicrucianism and i need to go back and reread that part but is tell me if my understanding of this section was wrong um he basically his basic read on rosicrucianism was was something within the western um Within within the you know um, dialectic of Western civilization that was saw the endpoint of nihilism coming through Judeo Christianity and sought to kind of jump one or two steps ahead of it and recognize the world as well, but also um, kind of let a I, this is maybe totally wrong. This was kind of I was reading it late at night on a plane. This is what the image that that came to me inspired me. Like like the, the image of the rose blooming on the cross is making that. Is redeeming that I don't, Rosicrucianism isn't always explicitly Christian, although sometimes it can be. Um, but but finding that redemptive thread within 
Christianity or within Western Christianized Western civilization and um, finding um, some kind of affirmative understanding of the world as well within that. Is that uh... honestly? I just been. I don't know if I've read that chapter, um, but what I will say, I am more moved by the image that Scientology made of the starry cross. Hmm. I think Surely is... related, of course. Yes, I've seen yes, the picture. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, rather than something blooming from it, you know, it's the radiant, it's what is radiant emerging from it. Hmm. The Scientology level. did emerge from Christianity in some sense. Uh, emerged the, from Thelma. Emerged from Thelma, of course, which, which in turn was, they didn't emerge from Christianity, but was, it was working within the Western tradition, yes, which was um, absolutely inescapably Christian, I think. Okay, that, that's kind of some deeper water stuff there. Um, I want to talk about Pisces versus Aquarius. War. Before we do that, I did want to um, kind of plug one more thing of yours related to the foregoing topic about helping people and the web as a smothering mother digital anima. Um, I want to talk about your what's your web type quiz, which I did take. Um, I think I got a somewhat more agreeable result, although maybe on a bad day I would have answered some of the questions Um not, not more honestly, but, you know, I, the type of questions you ask on there are basically try to get to the root of how the Internet has affected your life. And, you know, there are some days where I feel more that pornography has affected my sexuality or um, or that I, I have to hide my views. These are the kinds of questions that are asked. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that briefly, that the what's your web type quiz? Um, why did you make this? What um, Just tell us a little bit about it. So being a big fan of LRH, mm-hmm. of L. Ron Hubbard, I thought. You know, personality tests are clearly something I'd had a great deal of interest in throughout, and I wanted to do my own. Mm-hmm. And I had been developing this theory of these kind of internet monsters for a while, and realized that they would make the criteria of the test. Mm-hmm. Um, how affected by one or you know the others one was, and realized as well and you know i don't know if it, i don't know if my, the experience has necessarily proven my theory but you know people love to talk about themselves to experience being told what they are and personality tests are one of the most effective ways to do that i think my website because i built it using yeah. like fucking notion or something so i think it was a little bit too labyrinthine and right now it's not complete so it's I, a cool side though. I, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed yeah, the experience. I, yeah. Honestly, I yeah. liked it. I think it's good, but I can understand that it might be a bit too much for some people to go through the full exploration of to understand what it is. But a lot of that will be clarified. Good. Yeah. No. Look forward to it. Um, but yeah, I guess without further ado, uh, did want to talk. We talked about it a little bit, but you know the Aeonic shift and the Pisces versus Aquarius war um, that we are currently in. Uh, this was kind of based on something you said to me the other day when we met in LA for the first time. Um, but this framework of viewing uh, Aeonic Shift as being, um, you know, definitely behind a lot of the chaos that we're seeing now, no doubt. Um, but even more inspiring, perhaps, almost as like, you know, we all need, this is Nietzschean, I guess, you know, we all need a struggle to engage in. And I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, would you almost say that that, that is the struggle that we should focus on is this Pisces versus Aquarius 
Aeon Shift War. You know, it, I'm not it, trying to put it, words it, in your uh, mouth, I think but quite yeah. simply, it is our struggle. Yeah, we don't need to pick. We don't need to pick. It's, right, it's, it's not here. Right again, man. That's a good point. Yeah, it's the the struggle, um, because it's kind of a yeah. I guess it's kind of a product of some kind of breakdown that one could even, you know, just suppose that there are multiple struggles. And oh, you take your pick. Like that's kind of postmodern and um, uninspiring past a certain point. But this, this is this is much more. This is th- that's a symptom of this. <laughs> yeah, um, and we talked about the Aeon shift. Uh, you know, the moving. From Pisces to Aquarius, uh, which um, has happened at some po- at some point between uh, the '60s and 2012, right? Perhaps 2012. Was I like, like to say yeah. 2000. You like to say simply yeah. because Christ is born in zero, mm-hmm. and I believe in 2000 year aeons. I yeah. think it's I think yeah. it's easy. I think you know for a long time before, decades before, and decades after, you know, sometimes centuries. There's crossover. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard this story that I tell, but do you know the story of the great god Pan is dead? So, tell it. Uh, maybe you heard it, but yeah. So I believe it's Tiberius, one of the one of the Roman emperors. Um, a merchant comes to him and says, I was at sea. And the voice of God, the voice of a God came to me telling me the great God Pan is dead. And so they like sent out a party to find out if he was dead. And he was, he was dead. Yeah. They found out that he was dead. And so Pan, of course, is, Pan is everything. God is, he's the God of everything. He's the God of fear and panic and night, but he's also literally Pan. Pangea, Panacea, mm. etc. Um, the God of everything dies. 14 years later, Christ is born. You know. That is the death of the old gods and the birth of the new gods. Mm -hmm. And Nietzsche, I think, announces very early that God is dead. And in some ways that has been much of the chaos is like the gods did not tell us. But I think it's rare for the gods to announce their own death. But we know that God is dead. We know and we're looking for the new one. Everybody's looking for the new one. And that is a big part of the struggle. Yeah. That is a big part of the struggle. But I think, you know, it's hidden in plain sight. It's the youth. It's childish energy, new energy. And that is exactly what is being smothered and destroyed. This is what I wanted to talk about. So it's being smothered and destroyed by the Pisceans. Yes. Um, Which obviously we're kind of speaking abstractly here, but also very literally certain things that have happened in the world. Um, we can just talk about the internet, which you you know was designed by people. I, you know, is it like in David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, um, people up in a room uh, deciding uh, you know whose dreams are going to be made and whose are going to get crushed? Maybe not that literally. Maybe you do think that. I don't know. But in any case, we can suppose that there is some process that there are people who are doing. Maybe maybe it's unconscious, right? I don't know. I think I think yeah. there's just old people who want to remain in power. This has literally always been the way. Yeah. I mean, that is. This is why I use the story of Tom Thumb. Right. And, you know, the story of Christ is the story of Tom Thumb because every aeon, that's what's unique about mm-hmm. Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb is, ev- is the aeonic myth. Yeah. He's not just the new aeon myth. He's every aeon. The child threatened with being eaten up. You know, Christ threatened by Herod. Yeah. Birth. They need to run away for him to survive. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm sorry. Then you have... 
Hercules. Mm-hmm. You know, Hercules, Hera sends serpents into his bed to kill him, and he overcomes them. He strangles them. Um, Krishna, I forget the name of the demon, but a demon, yeah. the king, they try to kill him. And, you know, this this myth is endlessly repeating. Moses, yeah. you know, it's again, born in a basket. again, again. Yeah. And, but I think really particularly important in, in Revelations, yeah. in Revelations, where you're just shown it, mm-hmm. there's a monster about to eat him up. The baby, yeah. And, you know, the name that Crowley uses is Harpocrates, Horace the Child, who is threatened by Seth, threatened by scorpions, threatened by snakes, and again, he overcomes them. Mm-hmm. And Tom Thumb, you know, one of the things about fairy tales, nursery rhymes... Is that they are often mythological motifs made mimetic, made more mimetic, reduced to their most um, primal form. Yeah. So instead of all of the, you know, instead of um, the early part of Hercules, the early part of Christ, the early part of Krishna, we have this little character who does just that part. Just like, um, there, do you know the boy who could not fear? No. It's one of the basis for Wagner's uh, ring ring cycle. Yes, okay. And from so he's just yeah. like stupid. This boy, yeah. he's, he, he, you know, he um, cannot be afraid and just goes around killing monsters and you know he just doesn't mm-hmm. even know he's in danger. That is like you know the the latter part of Hercules where he just effortlessly is killing. Yeah. So we divide these mythological narratives like tarot cards into mm-hmm. single parts of the narrative yeah and make them into fairy tales so that is why tom thumb is the aeonic story because um, tom thumb remains small remains a child he, 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 always always he's always cycling and it's a zodiacal cycle as well the types of creatures swallowing him are um zodiacal zodiacal Fish, cow um and now for the aquarian aeon we are uh, in the pudding the very famous yeah, part where yeah, he yeah, falls yeah. into the pudding. The internet is the pudding. Yeah. Okay. The Aqu- Aquarius is the vase. Yeah. That's the water bearer. He fa- he's fallen into a pot. Yeah. But can he get out? Of course. Yeah. And this tie, there's that Krullian notion that um, this is the Aeon of the child. Yes. So it's a child who does not grow up. Or. No. Is that too. Yeah, that's too. No, because it, it, you could even see in this card. Yeah, we're looking at the Aeon Thoth card here. Horus the Elder is already in him. Yeah. They are one and the same. So he's just young at this point. Yes, but both happen. Both happen. Both Horus and Tom Thumb. <laughs> they, yeah. they emanate like, um, you know, the war, the advancement of war is Horus the Elder. But the advancement of the kind of public idiocy and softness is Harpocrates. Hmm. Um, the expansions of sexuality beyond tradition, um, film, entertainment, technology in general, this is all Aquarian, but as is nuclear war. And, you know, the so you have both mm-hmm. sides to Horus here. Yeah. But, you know, it is it is the child that needs to be reared, matured. And so I look I look to the figure of Chiron, the centaur, who rears the Greek heroes as uh, an ideal figure in and, this yes. early stage of the Aeon. Right. And the issue, of course, is, and 
I wonder if you feel differently about this, but I feel like there's no good mentors in the world. No, absolutely. None, none whatsoever without being too flagrantly disrespectful. Um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm nearing 30. I sometimes think, like, am I just a petulant child still to think that? But but no, I just don't think there's a lot to to look up to in the world. So where do we find that Chiron? I mean, I <laughs> found it in the dead. Yeah. You know, I look to dead people for guidance often. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's done pretty well so far. Yeah. I think that I makes have sense. like yeah. some very, very strong relationships with dead people. Yeah. That keep me, you know, going. Yeah. That have given me direction. But it's also, you know, there's like, um, I'm told often that I'm not like out of time. I'm not like of the generation. But I think you can be out of time in a way that's beneficial and then and then bring back and that uh, and I mean that's why I yeah. can have the perspective on yeah. what's going on that I do. No, it's really important, but you can still as I said earlier with your videos you can still help people in this no, not to flatter you, you know, the bodhisattva almost maybe that's too too strong. Um <laughs> maybe but someday. um but th- there's that idea, you know, of 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 purposely uh, of of engaging in the horrible um well, now I'm sounding too Buddhist, but you know the the horrible um, stuff that's going on, because that's another element I do want to talk about. It's like um, we talk about optimistic versus pessimistic views of the world. Um, this is something that I think Bronze Age Purr is very interesting on in the section of his book where he talks about Gnosticism. He's not a Gnostic, but he thinks that the world could easily enter such a state, such a dark age, that the Gnostics believing matter to be evil. Believe, you know, believing humans to be light trapped within matter. That even if that is not metaphysically true, that it could be, it can be made true. But that's I'm a, jumping to a different topic here. Something I talk yeah. about all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like the Matrix, not necessarily metaphysically true, but we've made it true. We've made it true. Um, it's but is it? It's Tom Thumb in the yes vase. It's just part of the swallow side. So there is something outside, and we can get there. But no, it's it's, it's something that really moves it. Because I again, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Gnostic. But I like that stuff a lot because I do think it helps us understand. It helps us deal. It helps us cope with suffering. May I read In the short. poem? Yes, please. This is a translation of Rambo mm. that I've done called Ma Bohem, or My Bohemian Life. This will illustrate some yeah. of the myth. On my way, fists piercing my pockets. My jacket, too, is becoming ideal. Going down under the sky, muse, I was yours. Oh, what splendid loves I dreamt. My only pants had a big hole. Starry-eyed Tom Thumb, feeling my journey of poems. My tavern was the great bear. My sweet stars sang and I listened. On the side of the road, those fine September evenings, when rain fell like lively wine. I rhymed amidst shadows fantastic, and played like a leer, my worn shoes elastic. My foot near my heart. So... It seems like, you know, just a fun little poem. But it, I think it is, in fact, uh, vital to to my mythologizing of Tom yeah, Thumb. Yeah, yeah. Tom Thumb being at the his tavern at the sign of the bear, his tavern at the dipper. Now, Ursa Major is the center <clears throat> of the Zodiac. Yeah. And thus, you know, after the, his journey is around the Zodiac. Tom Thumb is circling about the Zodiac through the aeons. When he goes to rest, he goes to the center. Um, that was actually how I first realized that Tom Thumb was not just... Because it began as a very, very personal 
identification. Mm-hmm. I just, I you just like the story. I just love the story. Yeah, and I and I felt it strongly. I really felt it. And then I came to realize that there was um, legitimate cultural motifs. Yeah, and I think I might have also just forgotten because it's a it's a relatively large part of Jung's book. Uh, archetypes in the collective unconscious. Tom Thumb. Tom yeah. Thumb is a, a relatively big part of it. Um, and you bring Tom Thumb into your own poetry, which we will mm-hmm. talk about in the sort of last act of this podcast that we are not at yet. I hope I'm not. No. Keep, yeah, just let me know um, because I have obviously a lot to talk about. Um, but, oh, just to, to reel back a little bit, another element you talked about of the new aeon and our position within it you mentioned this on the video you posted just recently on the uh remind me of the name again the literati the the lonely isolati um how we are all we are all spiritual children uh, especially you know gen z but i guess this does technically apply to everyone right mm-hmm. we are all spiritual children in the new aeon and and as such we are prone to wanting our mommies and daddies um, which I, I imagine there's a, there's a way that that can be channeled properly. Yes. But but that's how you get people who are addicted to mm-hmm. the internet as a mother. Um, and also, I mean, there's obviously this big dad hole that's going on, kind of sexually for a lot of people too. I think. Uh, but there's, so there's that too. But but especially, I think the the need for 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 mommy. Yeah. The big question is just why grow up. Yeah. I think for a lot of them, yeah. there is no force. It's, you know, there is, and there is no path, you know, it has to be self-made, but in some ways I also think it's, it's kind of good. Yeah. Like only the true people are going to make it through right now. Like we are at a point, I don't want to sound too evil. People are selecting their own survival in truth, but it also is unconscious of course. But I think that that it's a tragedy but it is the nature of life. But I do think that there's a good amount of phenomena that is kind of unconscious natural selection. Um, the unconscious people, again, do not, like I was saying, the, you're not, your ego is not the master in its own house. Oftentimes your unconscious wants to kill you. Yeah. Wants you dead. Yeah. Badly. And will kill you often. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a- uh, accidents are not accidents. Yeah, you know, Jeez. it's your you are being killed by your unconscious <laughs> for real. Yeah, um, it's Death something ride. that Freud yeah. talks about. There are no accidents in the unconscious. Yeah, everything is intentional. Let's well, same with magic. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so significant to to put oneself in shape as a vessel, mm-hmm. because if you don't do your will, the unconscious will rebel. The will will just destroy you. Gosh. Punish you. Yeah. Just Jeez. like, you know, God God will punish you if you stray. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but it's you. You know, it's worse. Yeah. Because if there's not a straight and narrow. Yeah. There's not a clear straight and narrow. Wow. I mean, that kind of leads me to another question I want to ask. I asked you this personally, but I'm asking it again because I think it's an interesting topic. Is to what extent um, are, to- you know... Jung and Freud are psychoanalysts and they're dealing with the unconscious, this kind of ego, super ego, um, id framework. And then obviously Crowley is an occultist, um, Burroughs to a large extent is an occultist, but to what extent, um, are all these people actually talking about the same thing? To what extent is it actually the same discipline? It's entirely. Yeah. That's kind of my read on it too. From, I would say that the true origin of it 
is likely Nietzsche. Yeah. Nietzsche influences everyone. Yeah. Nietzsche kind of creates psychoanalysis and then directly influences Crowley, which is how I read magic. So it's kind of like this general Nietzschean project. It's just a matter of like, how do we apply this entirely to the mind? Mm -hmm. And how do we apply this to action and influence in the world? Yeah. So that I would say those are two of the major... I mean, like, personally, spiritually, I tie it back to William Blake. Yeah. I think Blake is a huge part of it that's unspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake is really terribly underread, but very yeah. important to me. But, yeah. Yeah, so you read a lot of poet, poets as well who are insightful. Yeah, no, I mean, I was kind of leading you into that answer, but I always had that sense that really... And Wilhelm Reich is another critical yes, figure here, yes. right? Reich, um, along, you know, Reich, Nietzsche... It's funny, you know, Nietzsche... His influence really cannot be overstated. Yeah, I come to believe that too. Freud, well, you know, Dina Lou Salome? No. Okay, so she is, it's funny, she's actually the, the progenitor of it all. Yeah. Because she, do you know Rilke? Mm-hmm. She was a lover of Rilke. Um, Nietzsche was desperately in love with her. And she was one of the first students of Freud. And oh wow! Okay, so she and do you know Victor Tosk? Another analyst, I know the name, but yeah. he's the influencing machine. She had this profound influence over all of them, and brought Nietzsche's work to Freud, essentially wow. like creating analysis. Wow! Like Freud was just kind of a—he was a hypnotist, a practitioner. Um, but it's through Salome's introduction of Nietzsche that he begins to. I think really develop psychoanalysis. Yeah. Behind every man, right? Yeah. So she, she, <laughs> no, she's yeah. truly one of the greatest, greatest women. That's, that's, that's nuts. Um, but no, yeah, it's, there, there is this connective tissue. I think if there's one thing intellectually that I will pat my own back on, it's that I think from, again, I've only been interested in occultism proper for, for relatively a short amount of time, but, um, but even in college, I think I really started to put the pieces together. Like, oh, Freud and Nietzsche, um, and even to extend some of the critical theorists at their best, they're all talking about the same thing, this functioning of the will in the world and, and, and how it operates and how it's kind of all sexual. All of that reduces it a bit. You know, obviously sex is about something more. Um, and I think I picked up on that very young. Um, it's reflected in my um, my novel Dragon Day, which I have a copy of you for for you here today. Um, I do apologize because uh, I the only other person who's ever recorded a podcast here uh, was Delicious Tacos, and I tried to give him this book, and he kind of he didn't say anything. He just like didn't acknowledge, which I think you know he's kind of like this cool writerly type. He just kind of didn't take it. So it originally said for delicious tacos, but I just, it's the only copy I have left. I do apologize. Right. I do. I, you know, I, I know I already gave you another work, which I really appreciate you reading. I think you'll find stuff in that, that you like, because I, that it's my novel I wrote while in college. And while I was piecing some of this together, it's pre at the very, at the end of my time writing that I was first getting into some of the occult stuff and you find it reflected in the end. All of this is to say, not to pimp my own book so much as to say, um, yeah, you start to just slowly realize there's this study of power dynamics 
Um, from a Marxist perspective, it's often politicized and it's all about how do we make things more equitable. But that never was that inspiring to me. But what was more inspiring was the analyses of power dynamics themselves. I think, you know, Nick Land actually gives it the best name. Yeah. Of libidinal materialism. Yes. In Thirst for Annihilation. If you, if, this is a huge problem. I know that nobody has read Thirst for Annihilation. Not, not, I think maybe some people have read that, but nobody has read Wilhelm Reich. Yeah. I can, I know because I, I'm, I'm constantly looking for people who have. It's exceedingly rare. Uh, he's, he's, I he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, <laughs> I want to. Yeah. He's exceedingly difficult. But if, if one just reads his selected writings and then reads Thirst for Annihilation, Nick Land is just like a dark and spooky Reichian. Yeah, it's identical. No, it's I think entirely so. identical. People who do know Reich, and this will be a you know a little rehashing for for anyone who doesn't. You know, he's famous for inventing the Orgon accumulator. He accumulator. He you know he, his views are often reduced to this. No, which I mean I think it is, this is what he believed, but also there's more to it. But he you know a belief in Orgon, the the energy of orgasm as being basically the fundamental matter um I will, I will give my, i don't know much about reich but i i, I have give, that strong sense about orgone and and believe in it <laughs> so basically yeah. this is how we look at it the freudian drives are we know from freud that they're super personal they're beyond their um biological though they're yeah. biological biological drives the biological energies that move the world reich essentially begins to apply this on a cosmic level where you know pretty much all of physics is affected by this this duality this expansion and contraction natural expansion and contraction which is the focal point of it is orgasm and death those are the focal points of this universal cosmic energy but essentially everything we do is a product of these energies these two forces these two forces which initially reich when he had started out only believed in libido only believed in orgone and thought that contraction was essentially like a side effect but like after the orgasm yes like like that that he did not believe in thanatos did not Mm -hmm. believe in death drive up until the end of his up until the end of his work where he's like oh i was wrong it's real and it's active and dynamic it is not the absence of energy it is an active negative energy huge 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 change like wow. because that is like kind of the basis of his optimism in humanity is that a lot of the negative things are products of repression which they are but it makes this whole new problem of like, well, then how do we exercise this energy? Yeah. But he's brilliant. No, he is. I, I want to read so much more of that than I have. You know, I think that my read, and I think my read on what your take on this is, is, you know, Nietzsche is perhaps one of the best singular thinkers on, on, on this topic, but maybe Wilhelm Reich brought it close to the realm of science. Yes. Perhaps is that a fair or it, something I, more? I, 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 yeah. I do think it works. Yeah, I do think it works. I think there's a reason that the government killed him. I was going to say, yeah, what happened to Reich? Right, I don't. I, I just know that he was locked up in some capacity, labeled insane, and died in prison. Yeah, it's terrible. No, I'll leave his that. His books, as a... tons, literally tons of his books were burned. 
He's the only author to ever have their books burned. In the United States, right? He was in Arizona or something? By the U.S. government. Um, He lived in Maine. In Maine, okay, yeah. But was working in Arizona. Yes. I have to... It's definitely a breadcrumb trail to go. Research on the desert. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay, so what do we got next here? Let me see. Um, Just to finish the, I guess, Pisces versus Aquarius elements um you know so you were obviously born just weeks before 2000 right I, yes. december 1999 yeah. correct yeah i'm also sagittarius 1994 we're all uh, I'm, i kind of consider us a younger millennial you i guess would be a older gen z is how we look at it but um eh, we probably already talked about this but you know uh, do, you, do you view it as a kind of a special mission uh, being born at this time right between two aeons left at the crossroads between the centuries yeah it's a special all right, I talked about this with Alex too, actually, who's also um, was born the same year as me, and we talked about it more on a cultural basis. Um, but I, we've already talked about this, so you don't need to say much. But it's just I do think it's a very special time uh, to be born. We are not necessarily the true digital natives that people that are just a bit younger than us are. We have some sense of what was outside of that. Um, I think it's a position from which we can share wisdom. Maybe, some maybe. Of us. <laughs> I mean, right. I think there's a lot of problems with our generation, with our age group. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that some of the most adept users and understanders of the internet are being born now. Hmm. Are very, very young. So you almost have even more optimistic about the youngest. I view it'll be a very, very minuscule percentage, but that percentage that does come out will be some of the most impressive people because it will have been entirely self-willed. Interesting. Yeah. And to ground the Pisces versus Aquarius thing back in a little bit more quotidian stuff, not to get too political either, but there is this notion, and this is something that you don't need to be interested in, aeonic shift or or anything to talk about, um, but there's this notion that that the oldest generations are just very much holding on to power now. I mean, I think that's what animates... Um, definitely like Bernie Sanders, you know, like uh, the top 1%. I mean, how, how old is, is that top 1%? It's all people who are in many cases probably above 70. So there is that liter- very literal, concrete, materialistic hoarding of wealth. But even like Trump's campaign, you know, was kind of like this outside against the establishment thing. Um, so I guess just if you could comment on, if you could comment on that, like the extent to which this is not just a spiritual war, but a very... Without getting too political, without getting any more political than you want to, you know, the things that are going on um, that are negatively affecting youth. How is the energy being smothered? Do the, do the old suck the blood of the young? <laughs> yes, both, both and both sides yeah. have make that accusation. Yeah, they and do. The QAnon and, and yeah, it's a common both sides is a say hysteria about you it right want now. children to die. Yeah. Both sides say this. And it's true for both. Yeah. Because they are both, they have that in common. They both want children to die and they want to maintain power. And that's it. Yeah. You know, whatever flavor of that you'd like, um, people pick. But the truth is that, yes, old power structures do not want to lose power. And they do not understand how to hold on to it well. Yeah. And they are, they, they are the they Piscians. They, they are the ones who's value system it's more than just a value system or like it's more than just oh they're christian or judeo-christian it's more than that right but it is it's related that they are well i think part of the problem that they're having is that uh, this aeonic shift was already so heavy 
already present in mm-hmm. the 60s. Yeah. That yes, of course. Many of them are already, they don't have the real old-fashioned Piscean tools. They, they Well, exactly. They yeah. think that they're the hip ones still. Yes. That they're the, they yeah. think that they're new, but they have, they're already lost. But this is just always the way it is. It's, this is just always the way it and is. And ultima- it's ultimately futile. Um, the, I think the only, the only real danger is that now we just have weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Um, Everything is blown up on a bigger scale. And informational as well. Like yeah. we, just, we have the ability to do a lot more damage in the war. You know, this, this has always been occurring, but now there's just a lot more scale, a lot mm-hmm. more power. So, yes. Interesting. And and on that note of the old sucking the, the blood of the young, you have said that you are interested in conspiracy theories, not necessarily in their literal truth value, although perhaps in some cases, um, but more in what they kind of represent as stories and how they... They're almost like fairy tales, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these, these are the most honest looks at belief systems. Mm-hmm. Politics always engage in dishonesty for the sake of convincing. Conspiracies are just directly religious. They are direct religions. And they are often the truth behind most politics. And I find them exceedingly fascinating in that they are, you know, emanations of these very basic primordial struggles. And I I find them extraordinarily valuable. Valuable. You know, if you want to understand mass psychology, you look at conspiracy before you look at politics. Definitely. No, it's interesting because not to um, support any one conspiracy theory or another, but in 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 such a, I mean, obviously... Trump era that there was people were animated, but but now you know Biden era is very stagnant, you know, very stagnant politically. Uh, and I'm not really much of a conspiracy theorist myself, but I admire or envy uh, the degree to which conspiracy theories really animate people. That's what we're all craving is to be animated by that. Now sometimes that people end up animated by bullshit things, but there is a deep human need expressed there that's not being met elsewhere. And I think that's what's important. I also find conspiracies tend to be at their best and most powerful the more distant they are from the mundane. Yeah. Like lizard people or aliens. Are Those like are the best Far ones. more... Because they're religious. Yeah. They, they are a cosmic struggle. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I guess in some ways one could say... Uh, that the aeons are, are conspiratorial, mm-hmm. and that you know they're they're a, a idea of a hidden secret nature of the world. Though I think yeah, that, kind of gnostic almost. I mean, someone like uh, Eric, conservative critic Eric Vogelin, I don't know that much about, but I know that he um, he called him you know he was against gnosticism, and he uh, portrayed all these conspiracy theories as well as ideologies as um, as forms of gnosticism. I don't and advertising as Gatan, of course. Um, so I'm not a vote. I'm not like a follower of him per se, I but I, I think his analysis was was accurate. And of course, even though I'm saying I like some of this stuff, there's pitfalls to it. You know, immunizing eschaton is not usually a good idea. Uh, but I think on, I haven't read him in a long time. Mm-hmm. But from what I recall, I think he places blame in the wrong places. Probably he's, he's yeah. correct about the immunizing. Well, he's a Piscean. He's a yeah. Christian, I believe. He's yeah. wrong about he, yeah. 
you know, I think a lot, this and this is common with a lot of political people in particular. Yeah. It's like you know these these flaws they point out. It's like, well, this is what you are doing. This is you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, perhaps, and again, not to go back into deep waters, but perhaps in that case and others, there's too much of an appeal to, to logos and to rationality and to return. I mean, that's that's the tired, from, from even like a conservative right-wing standpoint, it's like that's the tired thing about the Ben Shapiros and others of the world is always like, well, logos and rationality would point you in this direction and this is like flawed, but but that's what who people on the right used to call conservatives because it's a losing battle. The, the appeal must be deeper than that to actually make things better yeah the problem is just that the right has no grasp of libido hmm. you know it's it's fanatical far more fanatical um you know even in in the left i would say relatively maternal you know caring viewpoint there is still libido there is still this desire for care and love that the right the right not does not it's have. cold it's it's far colder and it's kind of a, I, I view it kind of as like a trying to revive, well, it's, and I, I actually don't mean this in a negative way, but never, in a, in a, but I do think it's ineffective. It's trying to revive patriarchy in most cases, uh, appeal back to that uh, aeon of the, of the male phallic uh, power, um, which, you know, I, I'm a believer in the, you know, phallic archetype and, and as a man, you know, utilizing that, but not necessarily the way that these conservatives would, and I would think try to re, re, re it's like it's like using viagra but it doesn't work or something the irony yeah. is that again i think many of these young right-wing people you know they got into it through trump they got into it through the internet right because it was rebellious if any of this were to happen they would immediately rebel yeah they're not because they're they're just rebellious young people they don't have i am this this is the other thing i pretty pretty much nobody believes anything yeah. There are very, very, very few people with beliefs. Mm-hmm. They can be changed. That, yeah. No. Uh, pretty much everything can be changed in most people. Yeah. Most people have zero uh, structure. Right. There's not a true structured mind. Mm-hmm. In- I, I think that a lot of, especially people online, I feel their pain and I have been one of them in many ways. But, you know, there's a, you you you, you go to the side that's serving you and, and your interest. Frankly, your libido. I mean, this is a huge topic with incels. Well, I actually think it's somewhat overstated how it, how right-wing incels are. A lot of them are apolitical or even some of them left-wing. But nevertheless, there is like this, you know, there's a there's an image of like, oh, these guys aren't getting laid. So then they become Nazis online. Um it's not the fr- like that that does happen i don't think that's all that's happening but that does happen so again to bring it back to reich and the rest like there is like po- successful political movements are able to channel that libido in a, in a good direction yeah. the left has kind of failed at that in particular with young men i think which is what um maybe it's, it's i don't funny. know I was, you tell I, me I was I, I was actually i was all the examples that i could think of were the opposite hmm. were, were people like controlled by the news yeah people like animated by the news no i just i think i think both movements take on libido very well i don't otherwise they wouldn't exist well they take on take it on well in terms of sucking up in in, in almost a negative sense of like using that energy i think they're a, a better it's not even political at that point but a better civilizational program you know helps people bring their libido into fruition which is yes society that's my this is also directly opposed to power as it exists to political power like political power is built on harnessing that rather than 
uh, allowing for its free expression. Yeah. So Interesting. You know, in okay. truth, there is just not a political structure as it exists that exists for the sake of the actual health of people. Hmm. Which is what someone like Reich would, would, would advocate. Yes. Yeah. And Crowley. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how we even got to this. But anyhow, um, definitely interesting. Um, I, the next thing on my outline is what is the occult, which we've already talked about. Um, but, and I've already asked you about, you know, Freud and Jung versus Crowley and, and Burroughs. Um, but maybe we could talk a little bit about, yeah, what occult, occultism is and isn't. You've also been, and, and um, mutual friend, uh, default friend, Catherine D., has written a bit about this and others how you know you're you're not out here representing like pop occultism or like hot topic pentacle aesthetics or witch talk um but you know how would how would you kind of differentiate what people think and we talked about it with crowley but like the aesthetics of what people think occultism is versus what it really is i would totally do hot topic occultism yeah happily because <laughs> i believe any of it can lead to good. Yeah. I think oh, yeah, no doubt. I, I wasn't necessarily going to dismiss it all. I, just, yeah. I think a lot of the witch talk, a lot of that. Like, oh, I was actually, I was, I was just writing about this the other day. Oh, yes. I was I was at this occult meeting, mm-hmm. and it was dreadful. It was dreadful. There's just no energy. At least witch talk, young people have energy. Mm-hmm. They're, they, you know... The spookiness is fun. It's good. I think it's it's wonderful. I think that the energy in the young people who want to do magic, no matter how ridiculous what they do is, have far more power than people who just like read and or don't read, but you know, posture as serious occultists. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, if if the witch talk girl is doing more rituals than you, she is a better magician. Yeah, I like that. No, I think that makes a lot of a lot of sense. And you have a lot of content on YouTube where you're kind of critical of some of the obviously stupid things these people do. But I like that. You know, there's that other element of it too. You know, and we yeah, all I mean, start in silly places. I want, yeah, I want yeah. them to develop. Yeah. I think that they will. I think so too. Yeah. Um, just real quick, um, what uh, how, how, what are some of for people starting out? Like, what are some of the things to the pitfalls and hazards uh, of, of occultism to avoid. Um, I can just speak personally. I think you, you wrote a very interesting article about numerology recently um, that, you know, you can kind of get schizophrenic looking for numbers and finding meaning in everything. I have this even with the tarot a little bit, which I, I the tarot rather, um, which I, I think sometimes it can be very helpful, you know, mapping my subconscious. Other times it's like, I'm just going to pull a card to make myself feel better. And it's like, then I'll, then I'll pull another card. You know what I mean? So how would you kind of navigate that potential towards like a sort of schizophrenic or at least neurotic relationship with it? Yeah, if you're prone to schizophrenia, don't do magic. Um, if you are not a strong person, you really shouldn't be doing magic. Um, you know, plain and simple, I think it's too much for most people. I find, especially a lot of the people who reach out, you know, I find a lot of people, they get wounded by it. Even friends of mine have have certainly been. And it's because it requires a lot of discipline. It requires extensive discipline. And that's difficult to find now. It's difficult to do. And magic is difficult. 
magic is difficult. It's difficult to not feel self-important. It's mm-hmm. difficult to not feel like some kind of messiah or special person. Um, it's difficult to to continue uh, living in the world with other people without being like they don't know the, what's really going on. You know, uh, I think love. You know, you gotta have love. Gotta have love. You actually like yeah. have to love life <clears throat> to to <laughs> to do magic and not die. Yeah. You know, if you're coming at it from a point of resentment. From a point of like, this is how I'm going to get one up on them. Yes, yeah. from if it's from a point of weakness, it will destroy you. Yeah. Interestingly, I think I don't struggle with that so much. Like, I think um, I don't really struggle with the, like the whole I'm special thing. Um, and I think what I struggle more with is being neurotic about it, with, with, with putting too much into like the cards are going to tell me, and I'm like, and, and like also projecting like answers that I want, like things like that, which is another. Related, but not totally. Well, it's a, yeah. you know, there also has to be, you know, just controlling obsessive natures. Yeah, and just, like, knowing when to yeah. kind of, um, you know, meditate or just, like, take a step back, perhaps. But what I was going to say is that the way I found it, I think what helps me not suffer from the Messiah complex with it is um, is is that, again, kind of like Alex Zemi talks about in Pop Magic and others, like, understand that everyone is doing magic i mean it's not necessarily ritual magic it's not necessarily done well but but just remain remaining grounded in that very quotidian element of it where all it is is um you know the science and art of of doing your will basically and everything and burroughs talks about this burroughs was kind of schizophrenic himself or neurotic at least or not maybe that's a cia ploy but um that notion that everything is will everything that happens is the product of will everyone's doing it so no, I'm not special. It's just that I do think there's a power I can I think help myself by understanding that. I would also say even on a, a very basic level, you know, because that's true. So the people in your life who are who you might be envious of, but through magic feel superior to, are likely doing better magic than you. Yeah. You know, the the people who make the most beautiful lives are doing the right things you know it's not it's not a matter of like getting one up by knowing more obscure stuff it's yeah. not it's very silly to think that way no that makes sense um the other related thing i had to this was i think it's a young quote that i admittedly heard uh, i think via jordan peterson but um I, I believe it's a young quote who who talked about kind of there's a danger in catholicism of it devolving towards just stifling authoritarianism. But the danger in Protestantism mm-hmm. is that everyone becomes their own authority because they have a direct relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, occultism strikes me as having that danger tenfold. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a big topic, and maybe we've already talked about it a little bit, but how how do you navigate that? Like, I mean, because it is good to appeal, as you said, commune with the dead, appeal to tradition. We are kind of, I do think there's an aeonic element we're kind of conditioned to not really have any vibrant traditions to appeal to anymore. So we're kind of in this position, the aeon of the child, aeon of perhaps aeon of the individual. I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. yeah, aeon of the individual. Okay, I didn't know if I was out of my, my element saying that. So that we individualism is just a reality that we have to cope with. But how, yeah, I guess how, as a, as a magician, how do you um, a, deal with the obvious, you know, downsides of, of, of individualism? Love. Love. God is love. Huge part of both Crowley and Jung. Huge part of pretty much everything. Yeah. God is love. Um, so yes, there's like, oh, you as an individual must be built up to do all this and that. Mm-hmm. You have to do your will. But a big part of it is love. A big part of it is dissolving that in love. Excellent. I think we can 
could leave it with that. Um, do you want to do this rapid fire thing with the writers and the books? It should only take a second. I won't even necessarily ask you to elaborate. Um, but yeah, we'll go rapid fire. I'm going to name a writer uh, slash thinker, or in some cases a topic, and and you just name the, the work people should start out with, um, giving as much qualification as you want. So starting with Aleister Crowley. Get a Thoth deck and the Book of Thoth. Ah, okay. You I thought you were going to say um, Magic Without Tears. No. So People yeah. are visual learners. Yeah. I think they need an object. They need something to play with. They need something to look at. It's like evidence Makes sense. I, I, most I people don't, don't read books. Yeah, most most people don't. So I try not to give book advice sometimes. That makes and sense. Crowley yeah. is one with a really great not book. Yeah, no, excellent. I, it's, it's kind of a shame all writers don't have a thought or a tarot deck, right? I'm yeah. a huge. I mean, and you, that. and we'll talk about this with your book very shortly. But you know, you you make your own sort of decks and things. So very very cool. I should get a thought. I should get the book of thought. I only have it in PDF form, which is not not the same. But let's keep moving. William S. Burroughs. I'd say the revised Boy Scout manual is his most immediately practicable book. Yeah, it kind of It's legible. You can read it. I think his fiction is very good. But it, So if you want a fiction book, I'd read The Cities of the Red Knight. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, Reich, Wilhelm Reich. Listen, little man. Extremely short, extremely powerful text. I've met multiple people who... It's not like a complete horrible thing, but they break down after reading this yeah. book. This uh, book. I want to read it soon. Yeah. This book will change your life. Uh, Little Man, is that a Tom Thumb? No. Not exactly, no. but okay. Just curious. Uh, Sigmund Freud. That's, That's hard. That's hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite yeah. one is not a good starter, but I love Beyond the Pleasure Principle. I've read it, yeah. Maybe three essays on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Is a, the is, sex stuff, <laughs> which yeah, I guess is all fun. of it, but, yeah. but I feel like that's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Nietzsche. That's a hard one, too. I personally... There's different angles you can go in on that, yeah. The Birth of Tragedy mm-hmm. is probably the best His, fir- his first. His first. Yeah, I think I that think makes sense. That's where I started, and honestly, where I think I've, I've gotten the most material. Yeah. Nice. We already talked about Jung. Um, what was the book? It was not Synchronicity, but... Uh, memories, Dreams, and Reflections. Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. I would also say aspects of the masculine and aspects of the feminine there's a book that has both of those extremely good yeah this will be one that's interesting for right word listeners of this podcast julius evola i would say the hermetic tradition the hermetic tradition the hermetic tradition is the most i think a lot of his texts are not as fun i think the hermetic tradition is a great book mm-hmm. it's a great look at alchemy even though i disagree with his understanding of alchemy <laughs> His, his ideogrammic breakdowns of alchemical symbolism are extraordinarily useful. Yeah, I just picked this up the other week. I haven't started yet, but I but I will. Um, maybe you already answered this too, but a book on tarot. What's the best play? Thoth? <laughs> yeah, other, let me, uh, uh, other than the book of Thoth. A book on tarot other than the book of Thoth. Maybe just the decks themselves. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, get a lot of them. Yeah. Get a lot of tarot decks and play with them. Oh, you know what? There's actually, there's a, I forget, her name is Letitia. I think she has runs the page Letitia Cardamancy, and she put out, yeah, I think I've it might be a Tashin book of tarot. It's hmm. extremely good. It's very good. Well noted. And finally, on astrology. Uh, there's a book that Crowley did, Ghostwriting for Evangeline... I don't even forget. I think it might be Evangeline Adams or something. That might be an actress, though. I might be misremembering. Yeah, yeah. But it's called Your Place Among the Stars. 
He has the best. That's good. The best I'll read that. Books. Yeah, and then uh, as a little side note here, you advocate reading people's actual work rather yes. than the many books that people write about them. Uh, and you, this one very interesting thought of yours that you share with me is that you suspect that certain institutions, which reportedly carry the legacy of these thinkers, um, actually do not want you to read their works. So that's the OTO, perhaps even Scientology, absolutely, uh, even for even psychoanalysis. The, uh, they don't want you to read their best. Mo- they don't want you to get like the meat of it. They want to go through all these filters. I will. I will. I'll turn it. May I? Yes. Yes. So, do not read Israel Regardi. For Ale- if you want to read Aleister Crowley, yeah. do not read Israel Regardi. I would advise against reading Lacan. I don't think Lacan has anything. I used to, to tell. like Lacan, but yeah, Lacan no, that's what Paulia said. If yeah. you have not read Freud closely, if you have not. Like closely studied psychoanalysis, you should not be reading Lacan. It's also, I think, an empty. It's a black hole. Um, just read Nietzsche. Yes, he's difficult. Just read Nietzsche. That, that's what I think people actually do read. Thankfully, everyone knows they can't to recapture that. Jung, do not read. I mean, von Franz has some things that are okay. Don't read, but don't read von Franz if you want Jung. Don't read Hellman if you want Jung. Don't read. They did Nyman. Don't read. Don't read these people. Just read. Just read the people. Yeah. If you want the material, read the people. <clears throat> and relatedly, and this can just be, I think, a brief touch point. You know, you you've talked about you the OTO as it exists, um, Scientology as it exists. Although maybe you're a little more sympathetic to Scientology as it exists, but but a lot of these institutions of magic in the world, you have an incredibly negative perception on that they're doing really no good whatsoever. That they actively don't want you to understand their concepts. Um, so do you, do you kind of view yourself? I'm very tired of this, but do you kind of view yourself as offering an alternative with uh, meme analysis in a way. In that's not a secret ways. institution, in but like. And there's a need for lodges, I think, and and, and you can just read. You know, yeah. I will I will be offering events. Good in, in, in LA, LA, right? In Good. LA. Okay, I'm so, glad to be here. You know, <laughs> if you want, if you want, I'm not going to be your father. I'm not going to guide you, but I can show you a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we we look forward to it. Um, and uh, you're okay on time, right? I don't want to belabor this, but I really want to talk. Now it's the I think we've reached the more or less the final act here. I think besides closing remarks uh, i want to talk to you about your work alluvia which is a very small volume of poetry it is your second book the first was called Affluvia. it was just i didn't i don't have Affluvia. i'm lucky enough to have a copy signed copy of alluvia Affluvia was like this except it was black right or it was, was it bigger it was, it was bigger, bigger. It, was it was all hard, it was hardcover and I, I so that book you described to me at the viewer ball you said it was a book it was not a book for for the public. So you can say it was for very few. Although I know I know um, listening to this pod, Christian Coates got a copy. I remember seeing it on Instagram. Um, but so I don't know if you want to say what's in that book or not. Is that poetry as well? Sort of. Sort of. Again. We can leave it at that. It's it's a book for the few. Olivia is a book for the many. You are. I mean, it, you, there's nowhere to buy this. Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But there may be one day. Yes. And in the meantime, you you're kind of giving it away to confidants. And you remember you said people who can solve your riddle. This was a few well, that months was ago. Fluvia. That was a fluvia. That was okay. A fluvia. That that makes more sense. Okay. Um, but all right. Without further ado, yeah, Olivia is this this small volume of poetry. Um, I enjoyed it. A great deal. It was written from February to September last year. And, uh, you know, I'm not really like a seasoned poetry critic, but I'll definitely say there were shades of Ezra Pound. I know enough to 
to see that influence. Um, and it's all, it's not haiku, but it's grounded in brief, very strongly rendered images. And then uh, I, I, I'll let you talk about it, uh, but I definitely uh, enjoy the degree to which it, it's, it's an image book. And it is kind of a tarot deck, is it not? It is, to me, it has been, it's a book about writing about the creation of characters of images of symbols um in many ways i do think it goes directly alongside the symbol deck that i mm -hmm. made, both of which are not publicly accessible yeah. it reminds me of the we're, symbol we're teasing, for sure. we're teasing yeah. at you we're teasing at you it'll come it'll come <laughs> i just don't really know how to do it yeah i don't really because i we have sometimes we have people who were like oh we'll distribute privately with this person other times we're like, well, let's just do a shipping fulfillment thing. There's all this, all this. Uh, but you don't want to like just publish on. I mean, you want it to be this size. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has everything. to be. It has to be perfectly. As yeah, as yeah. Which is not something you can just do on Amazon, yeah. or, or even you'd have to work pretty closely with the publisher. So you want a lot of this stuff, or this in particular, to be more yes. out there. But it is not yet at this point. It's just a matter of distribution. Um, but I do think that this. I will also say that. Right now, that's a book that's closer to me than Effluvia. Mm -hmm. I think that this this text is one of the better things that I've written. Yeah, no, and again, it is it is very good. I, I enjoy that it feels again kind of like a tarot to me, a tarot deck to me, and that it there's a cycle of things that go on. There's like four different sections. There's kind of a Tom Thumb protagonist figure um i like how not only do you use very imagistic language but you actually depart from language in parts and use symbols um yes. some of them are kind of hieroglyphic in nature i think a, quite a few of them i believe taken from the I Ching, I Ching, right chinese egyptian runes astrology yeah um but there's also however a symbol for coca-cola for the real thing for it as the poem goes in it which I, that feels like it kind of Reveal something. I don't think it's ironic, but you're kind of showing... It's serious. It's serious, and it's showing... I don't know. For me, the reader, it's like, oh, this kind of shows what you're doing with symbols in a way that... Because this is a symbol people recognize yes. and know the effect that it has. Um, so it's you're working within this framework of, of images and imagistic words uh, to create um, a narrative or, or, or... How would you describe it? Not a narrative, but a... A cycle, right? Uh, yeah. A feeling and understanding a grasp of symbols. Yeah. And, and again, just to, to harp on this point a little more, I mean, there are... There's a poem called Mountain, which I think that's something to do with the I Ching, right? It has the trigram and yeah. the Chinese character. Right. And I love the the tarot references. There's a uh, there's two different... At least two, if I... Maybe I missed one from the thought that there's a poem called Dominion, which is the Two of Wands, and a poem called um, Lust, which is the uh, rejiggered... Uh, major Arcana uh, card, Crowley renamed Strength Lust. Can get into that, but you name a couple of poems after that. I also liked in Unicorns, which is one here. Um, it called very much to the mind the Moon from the Weight deck. There's a, a reference to the Moon and of dogs howling, and I assume that was also natural. So suffice it to say, you are influenced by poet by poetry and visual imagery, and by memes. I'm sure in most, writing this, most yeah. of the poetry is automatic. Mm -hmm. I don't think much about it, yeah. honestly. I don't really think about what I make. I just write it. You just write it. Kind In of, terms well, of poetry, I just write it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I should actually... I wish I... I used to write poetry. I should maybe get back into it. Because I do think it lends itself very much into that mode of expression. Whereas narrative, it's more Apollonian. You hmm. have to... 
I can't stand writing narrative. Yeah. Unless it's, it's not close. easy. Yeah. There you go. Um, but, but yeah, it's kind of like you said in your, your introduction to tarot video, you know, it's, you just kind of shit it all out. Yep. And then, and then you understand it after. I've, I think it can happen in narrative writing, by the way, but it's, it's just, it's, it is always, a, there's, there, there's more of an obvious, like rational, rational thing that you have to impose on it, but you can definitely kind of do engage in that same kind of, um, discovery. Um, but yeah, Alluvia, uh, people should get it when it is available or, or ask Chris and maybe he'll give you one. Uh, certainly, I don't know how many more copies you have right now, but I, I assume there's still some. Yeah, we have a good amount. So, so people, we can get it out there. Um, just to touch really briefly on the physical nature of the book. So you, did you print this at home? No, I had them printed. You had them printed. Okay, cool. I was curious about that. But yeah, it's, um, as you said, it's, it's not, you know, everything from the, the font here and every symbol used to the size of the thing is obviously intentional. Um, it's very good. Anything else you want to say about it? I feel like I don't want to go, I don't want to gloss past it too fast. But no. no. Yeah. Um, I will say that you gave it to me a week ago, and again, to harp on this tarot thing, which is, yeah, go on. No, not to, not to keep overstating this. Yeah. Sure thing. I do have something to say. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, let me, let me just finish my... I was just going to say, I did carry it like in my pocket since you gave it to me, and I did kind of occasionally use it like a tarot deck where I just open to a random page and, you know, do a little... Uh, what's it called? Bibliomancy. Bibliomancy, yes. Um, so it operates in that way. But what were you going to say? That is exactly the intention. Yeah. Uh, ideally, everything I make, like the matches are a good example. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be practical, carryable. I don't want any of it. That has to do with the size then. Yes, because, you know, I'm writing for this to be something that you use. Yeah. I don't want it to be just something that you've read once. I want these things to be carried with the person. I'm a big believer in in the pocket Bible, in the lighter, in the watch, in the pocket knife. I think that these are some of the most brilliant things that we have some of the most powerful the things we imbue with power daily absolutely and i yeah. want to make objects books cards that are things that can <clears throat> be part of daily life that they can provide a, a benefit to the daily life yeah no i like that a lot it, it immediately kind of fit in with that for me i got a, my coat i have like a little front pocket and fit perfectly in it and I didn't think oh, I'm going to carry this around with me for a week, but I but I just did because it was there, and then all of a sudden it became this this other thing. And it, you know, if I'd read it once, I don't think I would have had anything interesting to say about it. But I I read through it a couple times and read different parts of it even more than that. And um, no, I appreciate what you're doing there, a great deal. Um, I think we're we're about at the end here, um, but let's definitely talk about where people can find you. We talked about your YouTube channel, Meme Analysis. You're also on Substack. You've got a comics. Uh, brand or however you'd put it. That's all. Uh, I don't know if we. We don't have to talk about it on stock anymore. Oh really? Yeah, I think we might be out. Hmm. We might be out. It's been a while. It's been a while. Aonic Comics. Yeah. But if there are, you should get them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just um, they can find you on Twitter at, at the God. At the God Most of it. Yep. At, Substack too, right? Yes, I believe. Yeah. Um, and people, and I'm sure you know people. You're not going to be far from most of the people listening. That's are going to your, your social media presence won't be won't be far from them. How, uh, and again, um, how can people book a tarot reading with you? Just reach out. Yeah, just DM, yeah. DM. Yeah. Me. All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much. Uh, this has been a really special couple hours here. Thanks for having me. And on, um, yeah, no, fantastic. Wonderful. All right. Cool.